Welcome to the Axiom Podcast. I'm Joey Brannon, your host today, and we're continuing our series on building a great culture. This is the second in a four-part series on what it looks like to build a great culture. It's really more than just a feeling. When uh, we hear companies say, well, I feel like I have a good culture, that's usually indicative of, of a situation where they don't have any structure, they don't have any, um, any practices, any behaviors, any guidelines, any of the structural elements that really outline and define what that culture is supposed to be. And so there's really nothing other than a feeling to tell you whether you have it or you don't have it. And sometimes great culture doesn't necessarily result in great feelings. Like there's parts of great cultures that have to do difficult things and it's not necessarily an emotional high when we have to do those things. So in our effort to bring to you, what does it look like to have a great culture? Not just what does it feel like when you pull back the curtain and you see what are these companies doing what have they put into place? What kind of people have they brought on board? What are the things that the leadership and the ownership are doing that contributes to or that generates that great culture? What are those things? And so we talked uh, at length about values and the role of values and how they are kind of one of the, the, the foundation. I don't think one of them. I think they are the foundational element in culture. And today we're going to talk about leadership. So what does it mean for leadership to be one of those fundamental elements or structures of a great culture. And the first thing that I want to really kind of hone in on and just put out there as a non-negotiable is that when you, uh, if you want to build a great culture, then you're going to have to commit to having a zero tolerance for toxic individuals and toxic behavior at the leadership level. So when we get into any organization of any size whatsoever, it's, it's not the case that you're going to mandate out zero tolerance for, for toxic behavior throughout the organization. If you've got even 20 or 30 or even, even like five or 10 employees, you're going to have some times when people just do things that are harmful to your culture. And uh, you're going to have to deal with those, but it's not the same as a zero tolerance policy. Like people have um, bad days and, and things are going on and they get stressed out. And especially in environments like we're dealing with now with short supply chains and, and uh, difficult, uh, almost non-existent hiring market. So it's hard to find people at the same time, you, your industry is experiencing a growth um, bump or bubble. And so you're trying to keep up with the demand. You can't find people, you can't find product. It's stressful. And, you know, we all have moments of weakness where we lose it and we can engage in behavior that's toxic to the culture. And that's kind of expected, uh, in the workforce. But when you have a leadership team and, and we're talking about the people that you surround yourself, the three, four, five, six, seven, and uh, we met with a leadership team yesterday that had uh, two leadership teams, in fact, that each had about 10 people on that leadership team, and they're fairly large organizations. But there needs to be zero tolerance for toxic individuals and behavior at that leadership level. And if you, if you doubt that, <laughs> look at, uh, if you look inside a team, or, or take my word for it, if you don't have access to multiple leadership teams where you can see this happening, if you have one individual who's toxic to the leadership level, uh, where they don't buy into the values, they don't buy into the culture, they're really kind of in it for themselves, they don't believe that they should be uh, judging their performance by or their success by the performance of others, then you're going to have uh, a very difficult time getting anything done of consequence in that leadership team. That's just a fact. Unfortunately, it's so. And so when we see that happening, 
we we know that there's a big big decision that has to be made. There's a tough conversation that has to be made with the business owner. And there's a difficult decision that has to be made to invite that person off the leadership team, which very often it means inviting them off the whole company bus, period. Uh, it's, it's unlikely that you're going to have somebody who's risen to the level of responsibility required to be on the leadership team, and then you're going to disinvite them for the leadership team, but still find a place for them inside the company where that uh, that same level of responsibility and trust vested in them uh, is not called upon to lead people. So uh, you have to let go of them. And we've had situations where, you know, the CFO of the company didn't really believe in what the company was trying to accomplish. And, and we could see this on a day in out, day out basis. At least we could see it when we would interact with that team. We would hear stories about it from other team members how demoralizing it was, how difficult it was to feel like there was somebody on the team who wasn't really a team player, uh, who had their, not necessarily their own agenda, but just didn't necessarily have an agenda at all. It didn't have a, uh, didn't buy into the vision, didn't buy into the values. And we watched this team language languish, uh, for a year, uh, a year and a half, uh, with this person on the leadership team. And, it, it totally hamstrung a lot of the initiatives and things that we were trying to accomplish with that team. And ultimately, uh, that team member moved on. Now, it was a, it, that team member was allowed to move on. It wasn't anything that was hastened or chastened by, by ownership. Uh, but I feel like if it would have been, the, the whole team would have been much better off. And that's really the point. If you're willing to tolerate toxic individuals at the leadership team level, it really demonstrates an extraordinary ambivalence toward the other individuals that are charged with your care. So the, the other people who are on that leadership team are feeling the weight of your lack of, of intention in addressing that situation. They are struggling mightily to buy in to what you are asking them to buy into. They are biting their tongue when it comes to confronting other individuals in the organization who are demonstrating the same kind of behavior as their colleague who is on the leadership team next to them, but you won't call out that person's behavior. And yet you're asking them to call out their direct reports you know, behavior, the people in their department's behavior. And, and so zero tolerance for toxic individuals and behavior at the leadership team level. Going down from the leadership team level, one of the things that you, you have to embrace if you want to make leadership a strong part of your culture is that the values that the, the organization professes, they really have to hold true for everybody. So I said, there's going to be times in the workforce when you have toxic behavior, and that's just people having a bad day. That's the struggles that we all go through. But when people are violating the values of the organization, that moves beyond toxic behavior. That, that, that goes from I'm having a bad day to I'm really not about what this organization is about in terms of how it treats people and how it behaves. And if that's the case and you're not willing to address it because it, you know, it violates your values, but maybe this person simply brings in too much money. Maybe this person is responsible for a huge percentage of your sales. Maybe this person is the head of a, a crew and it's a great crew. And if you lose that person, you know, you're going to lose their brother-in-law and the, the four guys who are on their crew and you're going to lose your most profitable crew. It almost always comes down to we couldn't do without this person because of the financial implications of asking them to leave. 
And if you're not willing to make those decisions that are in line with your values, when somebody's, when you say our values are our values, they are inviolate. They are the thing that's non-negotiable. And yet you allow people to stay around in the organization who don't believe that and don't act that way, then you re- your values don't mean anything. If they don't apply to the people who make us the most money or the people who have the most responsibility, then the values really don't apply to anyone. And that's, that is especially true, going back to the example of a toxic leadership team member, what the, the, what the fellow leaders on that team are, are realizing is that, oh, the values are supposed to apply to me and the values are supposed to apply to you, but apparently the, the values don't have to apply to Bob uh, because Bob can get away with murder. Bob can violate the values all day long. Bob can throw people under the bus. Bob can be dishonest. Bob can withhold information. Bob can, and w- apparently we're willing to tolerate it. So this whole thing about values being inviolate, the whole thing about values being non-negotiable, we, we really don't have any values if that's the definition of a value. So... Invite people off the leadership team who are toxic. Uh, you have to draw a line in the sand if you're going to have values. And we talked about that in the last podcast and what a difference maker they can be. But if you are if you listen to that podcast and you're like, yes, we're going to put values in place, but you're not going to force them across the board, you really don't have them. And when we're talking about all of this, what we're really wanting to do is look out for the people who care about those things. What you're doing when you address those toxic individuals, what you're doing when you, um, when you let go of that top performing salesperson who refuses to take your values seriously is that you're protecting the individuals who do take those values seriously. It's up to you. I mean, nobody can protect them from those toxic people other than you. If the sales manager is not free to fire the top performing salesperson who's producing the most sales, because you won't let them do it. And that top performing salesperson is wreaking havoc on the customer service team. They're wreaking havoc on the production team. They are making life for the sales manager miserable. They are throwing a monkey wrench into that, those uh, up and coming salespeople who really do buy into what you're trying to do long term, but they can't get a word in edgewise in the sales meeting, or they can't fully engage with the training because the top performing salesperson sitting over in the corner with their arms folded and their feet up on the desk or text messaging or just uh, not participating in the meeting at all, not showing up. You are the only person who can protect all those people from the people who are violating values, the people who are toxic to your culture. And that's your job. Like we're not asking a ton of you. (laughs) We're just asking you to protect the people who want to do the best for you from those who don't. And if you can't get on board with that, then you have this incredibly short-sighted mentality of who's really going to generate the greatest long-term value for you and your company. Who are the people that you want to work beside for the next 10 or 20 years? Is it the top performing salesperson who doesn't give a crap about you or your company or your values or your vision? Or is it the young up-and-comer who if they had your full buy-in and your full support could probably produce as much or more than that top performing salesperson in time. If only they had the resources that you're willing to squander away on this person who doesn't believe in your values. So leadership first and foremost looks like protecting 
the people who care from the people who don't. And that involves some very difficult conversations. It involves uh, making some difficult decisions to invite people off the bus. It may involve some difficult decisions to forego revenue in the short term. And those are, those are, we're not making light of those, but it's one of those things that great companies begin to understand. If we're going to succeed here, we have to think about more than this, this month's numbers, this week's sales quota, this year's target. Are we willing to give up hitting this year's target in order to have a truly successful long-term future with a team that enjoys working with one another and can produce better results? So if you're not willing to make difficult decisions to protect the people who really care about your organization, then you're not going to have a great culture. The next thing that, that I want to talk about is getting people in your organization, those people who want to be there to lead, the people who are, you know, so we talked about leadership teams. Who are those three, four, five, eight, ten people who are in the room who, are, in our case, they're in the room on a weekly basis. They're the ones who are legging out all the strategic execution. They're the ones who are building the strategic plan. They're the ones who are troubleshooting the issues that arise in the business, representing the departments, working across departmental lines to help each other, all in the interest of the company pursuing its vision. Who are those people? How do you identify them? How do you make sure that you get the right people in the room? Because it's much, much easier to invite people into the room than it is to invite them out of the room. And so you need to be very, very careful about who you let into that leadership team role. And we believe in a whole series of leadership affirmations. And you don't necessarily have to use the ones that we use. And we've got, there's a podcast specifically on this uh, that Devin and I did a t some time ago. And I'll link to that in the show notes. But when we talk about who should be in the room, we're talking about people who think this way. So if you've yet to put together a leadership team or, or maybe you've got a leadership team, but you don't call it that. Uh, it's just like your your departmental managers. The question really is, who is there that's going to be leading long term? And who are the people in the room who aren't interested in leading because they don't agree with these affirmations that I'm about to go through quickly? Um, because if they don't belong, it's it, it's you can't afford to probably, you know, we can't afford to have them leave next week, you know, out of the room next week. But you better have a long term plan to replace them. Otherwise, you're not going to accomplish your vision or you won't succeed at it to the level that you truly could. If you have a top performing leadership team, everything happens, not just easier, but better. You, you're able to not just make the vision happen to check the box, but you're actually able to increase the, the depth and the breadth of your influence on the world through the accomplishment of that vision if you have the right people in the leadership team. So what makes a good leader? Number one, good leaders believe and agree that leadership is about investing in other people. They understand it takes time. They have to, that it's going to take extra time for them to plan, extra time for them to think. It's going to spend, they're going to have to spend time in meetings. They're going to have to spend time in meetings where they're meeting about those people on their behalf. They're going to have to spend time in meetings with those people to communicate what they're trying to accomplish and, and what it looks like to invest in them. They're going to have to spend time meeting on that meeting with them one-to-one, -one, which we're going to get to in a second. They're going to have to spend, spend time understanding their interests, their desires, their frustrations, their concerns, their ideas, their wishes, their hopes, their dreams. If you understand that leadership is about investing in other people, 
then you earn a seat at that leadership team table. That's number one. Number two, a leader understands that it's their job, it's their role to constantly be encouraging, exhorting, and empowering. Now, that does not mean that a leader is just a rah-rah person who doesn't hold people accountable. What it means is that when people do well, I go out of my way to encourage them. And that could be do well in living out our values. It could be doing well in technical competency. It could be doing well even outside the four walls of our, our building or our business. But if somebody's giving their best effort, I need to be going out of my way to encourage that. Second, I also need to take time to exhort those who aren't doing as well as they should be. People who are falling short, either falling short of our values or falling short in their technical competency or falling short in the execution of different things they've said they've done or possibly even falling short in their personal life to the, to the extent that it's affecting their business and you feel at liberty to, to look out for them and care for them in that way. So encouragement is about noticing when they're doing good. Exhortation is about noticing when they're doing bad and caring enough to step in. Not waiting until they're doing so bad and they're on the verge of failure that you call them on the carpet and berate them and have the come to Jesus meeting. Like there's, there are so many leadership shortcomings leading up to that moment or conversations like that. And they're all a result of being unwilling to engage in exhortation. Exhortation is a much more time consuming and uncomfortable experience. Because by the time you get to the point where you're yelling and berating and taking someone to task for something that they've failed to do or have done wrong for the 10th or 11th time, they know what's coming. They're not surprised. They're kind of girded up for it. They've got their, their shields up and their defenses, and it's somewhat of a fair fight. Like, you're coming at them. They're ready for it. They knew this was coming. Today's the day. They'll get through it, and, and they'll survive and, and live to fight another day tomorrow. But exhortation is pulling someone away in a, in a quiet moment or an in-between time when you've noticed something and you've noticed the beginning of a pattern and you're noticing things that are slipping or you're noticing best efforts aren't being given. And it's, an, it's a little bit uncomfortable because you can't quite, it's not that they've crossed a line per se that is just irreversible, but it, it's slipping a little bit. An exhortation is the willingness to take a risk that, yeah, they, they might get offended. They might take this the wrong way. They might blow it out of proportion or they may feel like I'm blowing it out of proportion. But my role as the leader is not just to notice when they're doing well, but to notice when they're slipping a little bit and to step in. And finally, the role of the leader with regard to encouragement, exhortation, and finally empowerment is to demonstrate a desire and an ability to help people do more. This is where you start to say, it's not my job to micromanage. I got to empower them to make the decisions. I got to be okay with them getting it wrong a couple times. I got to be willing to come back alongside and help them fix the mistakes that I know are going to happen. I could do it. I could do it and I, it would be done right. Or I could stand over their shoulder and make sure that it gets done right. But that's not empowerment. They're never going to get better. They're ne- if, if they're showing a desire and an ability to, to accomplish more and to, and to grow, I have to empower them to be able to get closer to that. And it requires a lot more risk. It, it's messy. I got to help clean up messes. Uh, I know they're going to happen, but 
That's my role as a leader. If I'm just holding on to all the power, I'm not being a good leader. A third leadership affirmation is that leadership is a calling that I have to pursue all the time. I'm not going to uh, act like I have it all together at the office and then go out with the crew after work for drinks and make a total ass of myself. I'm not going to uh, pretend that my struggles as a father and yelling at my children or getting angry at the soccer field don't have anything to do with my capacity as a leader. I'm going to recognize that if I really want to be a leader and leadership is about investing in others and it's about that encouragement and that exhortation, that empowerment, that doesn't get turned off when I walk out the door and go home. It doesn't get turned off when I'm out with friends. It doesn't get turned off when I'm at the grocery store. As a leader, I know that everybody's going to be looking at me and I will be judged more harshly. And while that may not be fair, that's okay. It's a burden that I have signed up to carry because I believe that's what leadership is about. It is about a higher calling. It's not something that's written into a job description and that I get paid a bonus to do, or I get paid a spiff to do, or that I get a pay raise to do. It's something that I feel like this is something I have to do. If I'm not doing this, then I'm not doing what, in, in a sense, God put me on this earth to do. And, and not everybody is wired that way. Some people want to be the craftsman. Some people want to be the technician. Some people want to be the salesperson. Some people want to be uh, the excellent tradesman. Some people want to be the genius attorney or, or tax accountant or engineer or architect. And it has nothing to do. There's absolutely no imposition on them that their success ought to be measured by the success of other people. And, and they can focus just on what's within their sphere of, of work and not have to worry about what other people are doing. And if, if that's somebody's makeup, if, that, if they don't feel that calling to lead others, and we put them in a position where that is their responsibility, we can't act like, uh, you know, we can't be too disappointed with the end result. It's something they have to sign up for. And this is one of those conversations that really needs to happen before the person steps into the room. You know, do you believe that you were put here to lead? Do you, is that something you want to do? Because you have to understand it's a, it's, a, it's a lot you're signing up for. It's a higher bar. It's a bigger expectation. It's an unfair standard against which you will be judged because it doesn't just stop when you leave here. You know, your people are going to, if you go to somebody's birthday party, they're not going to interact with you the same way they did before. You know, when you go, you take your kids over to a coworker's birthday party and there's a little group of, of people who, who work together, the, the people in the office or the technicians and, and, you know, they're having conversations that, uh, maybe not necessarily about you, but they're not conversations that they would necessarily have with you. And you have to be okay with that. If you don't believe that, if, if, if that's not okay by you, that you're going to be treated differently, then this probably isn't the best place in, in a leadership role. Let's, let's, let's plug you into a different seat. Number four on this affirmation list, I agree to measure my success by the sex, success of others. I kind of touched on this earlier, but if I need to get the credit or I need to be the one with the right answer, then I'm going to kind of, I'm going to struggle as a leader. But if I'm the kind of person who looks for opportunities to celebrate the success of others and to shine the spotlight on them, then I'm, I'm going to be a much, much better leader than I would be otherwise. 
And if my department, if I've got two people in my department who are really struggling, I can't thump my chest because my department hit its goal and act like I'm the greatest that's ever lived in this particular job. I got two people who are struggling. If they're not successful, then I'm not as successful as I could be because my success really depends on theirs. I'm not judging it by what I can take home. I'm not judging it by the tally marks I can rack up. Their success is more important to me than mine is. And that's a, that's a mindset that leaders have. Number five, I'm willing to step out of my comfort zone and consider that things maybe don't have to be done the way they've always been done. The status quo mentality is really incompatible with progress, growth, and leadership. So if you got somebody on your leadership team and they're constantly fighting to preserve the status quo, they never want to change anything, they've always got a reason why the new thing won't work, the new software package, the new report, the new checklist, uh, whatever it is. Those people who fight to preserve the status quo at all costs are really not demonstrating a capacity to lead. Leaders understand that they have to step out of their comfort zone. They, have, they understand that the status quo is death. Eventually, if we just try to maintain the status quo, we will not survive. Somebody will eat our lunch. We will fall behind. We are not being good stewards of the gifts and talents we've been given if all we're trying to do is bury them in the dirt and dig them up later and have nothing happen in between. And finally, I agree to live out the values of the organization and do everything in my power as a leader to build culture where others experience those values. And this is just signing up for, explicitly signing up for the values. If you're not 100% on board with the values we have defined in our company, I'm sorry you can't sit at this leadership table. You can, you can be, if you can be a four for four or five for five, that's great. But four for five, three for four, two for four, that just doesn't work. It's not going to happen. The, the, the leaders have to agree that those values are ones they're okay with and that they will endeavor to support and encourage and grow in others over time. The last thing I'll say before we wrap up is that your leaders are going to become the leaders that they're surrounded by, right? This kind of goes, I mean, you've, you've heard your parents say, or you, you know, be careful who you hang out with. You know, you, you will become your friends. People say you're the average of, you know, the five people you spend the most time with, things like that. And this applies to your leaders too. Your leaders are going to become the kind of leaders they're surrounded by. If you're like most organizations, you have a, a fairly good mix of leaders in any leadership team, you know, say once you get over three or four leaders, you're going to have some very seasoned people who've done this for a long time. And you're going to have some people who are brand new to leadership. This is the first time they've really been vested with this kind of responsibility. And then you're going to have some people who are in between. And so your lead that there's a great, um, there's a wonderful benefit in having a group like that because People at all different levels can challenge each other, but mostly what happens is the people who have less experience in leadership are, are really looking to those who have more to kind of teach them and mentor them and show them the ropes. And they're looking, and they may not even be doing it explicitly. They may just be watching and trying to, to figure it out by, by watching what other people are doing. But what about those leaders who have a lot of experience? 
Like what, what is, and, and they want to grow, but they're looking around the organization and they go, well, I understand I can learn something from the fresh perspective of these new people, but I also want to increase my leadership capacity by learning from some people who are more experienced than I am. And I, I, you know, who is that here? I'm the one with the most seniority and I'm hungry. So the, the first thing you can do is first, the very first thing you need to do is just don't settle for people who are just okay leaders on your team. Every single person on your team needs to be excited about the opportunity to develop increasing leadership capacity in themselves. If they don't want that, if they're like, I think I've gone about as far as I want to go as a leader. I'm, I'm pretty comfortable right here. Uh, find somebody to replace that person on your leadership team in the near future. So everybody in your team ought to aspire to up their game from a leadership standpoint. If you don't, you probably they're probably not a leader to start with. And you just got a manager on your team. But uh, assuming that you have not just settled for okay leaders on the team and everybody on your team wants to get better, the first thing that you can do is commit to becoming a better leader yourself. Look at those affirmations. So we have those affirmations. I'll put a, a link in the show notes. It's actually an annual leadership pledge that we want our leaders to sign on an annual basis because, you know, things change. People get stale. People forget. People take for granted. So every year before you do your strategic plan, pull out your, your leadership pledge, maybe the week before you guys are all scheduled for your offsite and say, hey, I just want to make sure everybody reads this and is okay with it. I need you to sign and date it. If for whatever reason you have a hesitation, a pause, a check, uh, this is not compulsory. It is completely voluntary. And if there's any hesitation in putting your signature to this document, please, 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 let's have a conversation about it. Right? It's more important that we have the conversation than that you sign the document. So number one, you should look at that annual leadership pledge and be honest with yourself about where you need to improve. Is it, is it about this idea of investing in others? Is that a tough one for you to get your, your arms around in the sense that I just don't have time. I don't have time to do one-to-ones. I don't have time to do all this mentoring. I don't have time to sit in all these meetings. I don't have time to do this training. I don't, I, honest to goodness, I really don't want to know about their interests, their desires, their frustrations, their concerns, their ideas, their wishes, their hopes, their dreams. It's just going to take too much time and I don't have the time. If you're honest with yourself and you're like, I, that's the affirmation that's the hardest one for me right now to get my head around, figure out who can help you get better, who can help you with that affirmation. It could be authors, right? You could read books by people uh, who can help you with time management or how to prioritize or how to delegate. Uh, I think I love books. I'm a huge proponent of reading books. And it could be that you could identify some resources that you could read or listen to that are going to help you get better. But I believe it's much better, 10 times more powerful to have an actual person, a real life person that you can go to and say, hey, I'm struggling with time. I'm struggling with the time to be a good leader. I'm smart enough to know if I want to get better, I'm going to have to find margin to do it. And I'm just struggling with that. Is that something I can hire you to help me do? Or is that something you will volunteer to mentor me in? It could be that you look at it and say, I stink at encouraging people. 
I'm just a terrible encourager. Who can I go to who, who has already figured this out, who's already won this battle, who's turned it around? I, I, I wouldn't go to a natural encourager because they don't understand what I'm thinking. About. I mean, what do you mean it's hard for you to encourage people? Everybody loves to encourage people, not me. So find the person who's like, yeah, 20 years ago, I, I was sucked at this. But I, I did this and this and this, and I made a practice out of it, or I made a game out of it, or I decided to do these daily habits, or I, whatever it was. How did you do that? How did you accomplish that? But the first thing you got to do, if you want your people to become better leaders, you got to become a better leader. The one they're looking at the most, the one they're taking their cues from the most, you get better, they'll get better. But you got to be honest with yourself about where am I lacking in the, in the leadership affirmations where do i need to get better at my game and then find people who will help you do that second make sure that your leaders are exposed to other leaders outside of your team your little community of leaders shouldn't be the only leaders that they're if you really believe that they're going to become uh they're they're going to become the leaders they're surrounded by surround them with other good leaders send them to conferences send them to peer groups send them to key players meetings send them to facilitate relationships between them and their more accomplished colleagues in the same position at other firms most business owners know somebody in another state they're kind of friendly uh you know in the same industry with somebody that they're not in direct competition with because they're in a different part of the country or whatnot and Pick up the phone and say, hey, I got a young sales manager. He's shown a lot of promise. He needs to develop as a leader. I'm not, I'm not sending him to you for that reason, but I know that's his heart. And you got it. What, from what you've told me, you have an all-star Hall of Fame sales manager. Would it be possible for my guy and your guy to get on a Zoom call maybe once a month and, and just, would you think your guy would be interested in mentoring my guy? That's my request. I'm asking a favor. If he's not, that's fine, but I'm just asking. We all have incredible networks that if we're willing to put to use to develop our leaders, we can call in favors, we can make introductions, but make sure that your leaders are surrounded by other leaders who are better than they are, that they, that they can emulate, that they can ask advice of, that they can get tips and tricks from. And over time, you'll find out that they're starting to bring things back to your leadership team, and that's making the people who serve alongside them even better. So we want you to build an incredible culture, but we also want you to have a very clear understanding of the things that you have to accomplish and pay attention to, to get more than just a feeling. And values are one of them, and great leadership is the other. And there are some practical ways you can do that, I hope that some of the things we've shared in this podcast will help you get there. Thanks, and we'll see you next week.